We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome in to the Roadwire NFL podcast for... February 17th. It is a Wednesday coming at you. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. We got some news and notes to discuss from around the league and then get to a little bit of best ball discussion. Uh, Best ball lobbies have been opened across several different platforms. I've dipped my toes into one this week. Still ongoing. We're pretty far into it, though, so there's going to be a fair bit to unpack uh, from that. But Mario, before we dive in on that front, looks like, you know, among it's been a common theme, I guess, in the NFL that this offseason, the, the kind of quarterback craziness. And it, it's been limited to a fair number of teams. I mean, Indianapolis, uh, Chicago, Houston, of course, kind of the epicenter of, of so many things. We saw the Stafford golf trade. Um, you know, we, we know that the Jets are potentially a player for, for Deshaun Watson, uh, you know, some some kind of pie in the sky stuff about the the Panthers maybe wanting to get involved on Watson, all this and that. But the Steelers had been kind of all quiet on, on that front. I think we all know where we last, last left off with the Steelers, Roethlisberger having an absolutely dreadful performance in the postseason and a blowout loss at home uh, to the Cleveland Browns. But the assumption, I feel like, generally has been that he'll be back. He's under contract. He'll be back. But um, Steelers general manager Kevin Colbert this morning did not sound all like that. He said words that don't sound like someone with a ton of affinity for the subject. He said that as we sit here today, Ben is a member of the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's some Belichickian style, just very, very cold uh, type of phrasing there. So is is this more? I think Greg Rosenthal tweeted this out earlier. Um, so kind of parroting him here, but this is either the Steelers publicly playing hardball, which he notes is not really the the Pittsburgh style of doing things, or maybe preparing Steelers fans for life after Ben right now. Yeah, I can't really tell. Like I haven't I haven't looked very closely at this situation, so I don't know what you know the the real experts can cite as the various factors in play. Like all I really know is I'm looking at Roethlisberger, looking at Pittsburgh's cap situation, looking at Roethlisberger's contract, and I have my idea of what needs to be done. I don't know if the Steelers are on any of the same pages as me, but 
I think they're going to cut him because, I mean, I'm, I'm pulling up his contract right now in overthecap.com. And the thing about Roethlisberger's deal is there's one year left. His cap hit nearly doubles from 2020 to 2021, indicating that it was basically funny money this entire time. Like this was a three-year extension. The third year going from $23.75 million to $41.25 million. And here's here's the real kicker. Cap savings, not cap penalty, in the event of terminating that last year. So, uh, granted, they're going to have something like twenty. Uh, it looks like it's twenty-two and a quarter million in dead money, but that's a little bit different than a cap penalty. Uh, like that, that money is just kind of used on the cap. But by cutting that last year, they they free up nineteen million. So maybe you know they they're they're going to miss that 22 and a quarter like it's going to pinch somewhere or other but cutting Roethlisberger is a gain and there's no there's no there's no way that uh you know they're going to get like a bargain quarterback or anything like that that's that's actually a competitive quarterback but if they cut Roethlisberger they'll have 19 more million dollars to spend than they had right now and i guess like without knowing the specific cap technicalities that are possible or you know in play here I, I don't know what restructuring can do differently. Like, I don't know if there's some way that if Roethlisberger agrees to a pay cut, then maybe they back off of that last year in the 19 million and they push the liability further down the line yet. Uh, I guess that's something that they could do, especially if they get Roethlisberger to like some f- funny money, like four year extension where it's just like the last three years are pretty clearly just for the pushing of, of bonuses and things like that guaranteed money into f- distant years uh, to, to create short-term relief. I don't really know how much of all of that is, is within their you know broader strategy here. But when it's as simple as you cut the guy, you get 19 more million, and the guy is as bad as Roethlisberger was last year. And, and not just – to be clear, like he wasn't – he was maybe the worst starter that no one openly called for benching. Like there was, there was a lot of – understandable like the first month when it wasn't super obvious that he was just getting by on on just kind of like these short passes and that he he clearly had nothing left but by the second half of the year any other quarterback or you know most other quarterbacks are getting benched for playing the way he did and mason rudolph in that start against the browns was pretty clearly better like it opened up the whole offense going from roethlisberger to mason rudolph because you got james washington going deep deontay johnson was able to run deeper routes and the offense with Roethlisberger was basically just kind of a, you know, he, he snaps the ball in a five wide uh, quick release kind of thing. And because he has to get rid of it so fast and because Deontay Johnson was running the short routes, he kind of was just chucking it at Johnson a lot of the time, even though Johnson wasn't really in a position to catch the ball, uh, even setting aside the question of whether the ball was on target, which it plenty of the time was not. So he just killed the offense like you cannot win with that guy playing quarterback the way that he did last year so short of his elbow which i'm assuming was what changed like i I assumed the pseudo tommy john surgery that he had is is a big part of what's wrong right now Mm -hmm. and at 39 like the, the prospects of that improving like recovering further into its second year just seems like it's not a possibility to me so I, I guess there's short of something like Roethlisberger helping them move cap liability into the future and taking a pay cut. I do think he's gone. Man, and the, you know that that could be theoretically kind of an unceremonious ending to to his time in Pittsburgh, where you know he ends up kind of being the on that Mount Rushmore of, of Pittsburgh quarterbacks and and Steelers. I'd, I'd say overall, but I mean to your point there, and and that that number. Uh, 19 mil or whatever that that would save them that would immediately get Pittsburgh into the black as far as their salary cap going into the the new NFL year is concerned because as it stands they're projected to be uh, 15 like 15 and a half mil over the cap so in one fell swoop they could get themselves on the right side of the ledger in that sense and you know theoretically make themselves better because like you said Roethlisberger was a non-viable quarterback basically all of last season and, and especially down the stretch. And it was painfully obvious, obviously in uh, the postseason. And, you know, you, you saw the long kind of forlorn shots of him on the sideline, just kind of looking completely defeated kind of uh, at the end of that, of that uh, Browns game. So yeah, I, I don't think that uh, they can continue forward 
uh, under these current conditions. So something's got to give one way or the other. Um, like you said, whether it's um, just kind of doing a, a service to a guy who's been a, a great player for you for you know 15 plus years and, and figuring out a way to, to pay him less and, and spread the money out a little bit more um, or just, yeah, just parting ways officially. And, you know, maybe Roethlisberger should, should maybe they're going to try to argue with him to try to retire. I don't, I don't know if, if he wants to play anymore. I don't know what exactly happens there, but um, I think we, we've come to an agreement here that, yeah, Pittsburgh and Roethlisberger under the current terms and conditions just can't really work. Yeah. And he's 39 now. So that's just, that's pretty old in general, of course. And it, as much as there's the Tom Brady case of like, well, if you, uh, uh, who knows what that guy's ingesting. Uh, yeah. But, Roethlisberger is not on the TB 12 method. I can, I can, you know, maybe the Bud Light 12 method, not the, not the TB 12 method. Yeah, like, I, I don't know if, if Tom Brady's, like, injecting alien, like, extraterrestrial stem cells or something into his tissue every single day, or, like, he has a protein shake with something like that thrown into it, and that kind of, like, keeps his cellular, uh, you know, construction similar to when he was more, like, 30, something like that. Ben Roethlisberger has been, whereas, whereas like, Tom Brady doesn't eat tomatoes and, and puts strange experimental... Uh, like whatever cocktails of, of various superhuman sort into himself. Ben Roethlisberger was just having like chicken wings and beer the whole time. So it's not going to have the same aging potential as Tom Brady. In fact, it's probably like he's, 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 I know he slimmed down Roethlisberger did, but it's like you, you go those, you know, 30 to 38, just, just on a, gas station bowling alley diet and then get good at 38 it's like yeah it's a little too late my man and you know to be clear we're, we're not ripping on the on the gas station bowling alley diet we're just saying in terms of realistically it's probably not good for the longevity it's, of your nfl career yeah it's more of a posting kind of diet and yeah. less of like an nfl football player kind of diet <laughs> so yeah this it this is going to continue to to not age well um, if you're Roethlisberger, let's get to one other quarterback in the Keystone State that uh, belie- is believed to be leaving, of course, and that, that's Carson Wentz. Um, so what's your, your latest read on that situation? I know that he's been linked to a couple different spots. It feels like Indianapolis has the most ammo, but if I'm Indianapolis, I know that there's like the Frank Wright connection and everything, and, but... Man, I just I wouldn't want Carson Wentz as my next quarterback. Like I think he, you know, he's obviously a lot younger, and the the potential for a reclamation project is is certainly there. But there's more games of sample with Carson Wentz where he's a below average quarterback than you know like the, the 12 games or whatever back in 2017 that everyone just loves to point to and you know forgets that the the following three seasons since then. So it, if Indianapolis has worked their way into this spot where they have a really strong roster that they're, they're you know the quote-unquote quarterback away from it uh that sort of thing like i guess wentz is a decent stopgap but like it, you're not you can't trade him for like stopgap returns like that philadelphia is going to want way more than than that so i don't really understand exactly where wentz's trade value is and, and you know what indianapolis's tolerance for for taking on a, a contract like wentz's would be yeah, so in Indianapolis's case, it seems like they have a big advantage over the Bears because not just in the sense that Wentz would probably rather play for the Colts than the Bears, which it was less Bowen, some Philadelphia longtime reporter guy. He was saying that some source that he spoke to thought that if Wentz doesn't want to go to the Bears, then the Bears won't trade for him, and that he thinks the Eagles will eventually settle for whatever Indianapolis is offering, which is something to the tune of a second-round pick and something else. And that sounds pretty much right to me, and obviously I'm just guessing. I don't know anything. I don't have any sources or anything. But all along, it was like, wait a minute. Indianapolis has a lot of cap space. Philadelphia is a lot over the cap limit and they have to move this contract that's going to put 20 million in penalties on their books so 
if the Bears are trading with the Colts, and the Bears, by the way, are also slightly over the cap, or they're, or they're like very close, something like that. Like Indianapolis yeah, has, they're just, has a lot. They're of like two, two, two million over, sorry. Okay, so the Colts have an extra sort of ammo in terms of like an entire category of cap space that they can offer because they can eat that 20 million. The Bears can't. The Eagles, I mean, the, like they, they kind of like might have to if they don't, if they aren't willing to barter with the Colts. And it's kind of funny. It's like Howie Roseman is apparently, I don't know if this is a bad faith thing or if he's trying to play hardball, but apparently he thought all along, like we're going to get a Matt Stafford return for Carson Wentz, which even if you believe that the players are comparable in terms of quality, which they aren't, you can still see that that's totally nonsense because you're the Eagles in this case are playing the Rams part you know, like the, you can't mm-hmm. be the Lions when you're the Rams of this of this analogy. Yeah, like, yeah. You're the one who's trying to get rid of this bad contract. So you're going to have to pay someone to take it. You don't get paid for someone else to take your problems off your hands. Like, what the hell are you thinking? So <laughs> I don't have I like as much as I might think lowly of Roseman, which I, I didn't think anything in particular about the guy until recently. I didn't really pay much attention to him. But if he actually believes that he's entitled to a Stafford-like return, and if he's going to pout and say, well, then we're just not going to trade Wentz. We're just going to play hardball and find him if he doesn't show up. Then that's pretty insane. Like that, that That's mm-hmm. a delusional person or, or a person who's um, basically destructive and, and kind of is a problem who should probably be neutralized. Like we see something similar in Houston where Jackie Easterby is going like, wait a second. You mean that if we trade Deshaun Watson, we got to eat $30 million too? And that if I ask another team to eat $30 million, they'll say in response, well, then we're not giving you another first-round pick, even though I think that we should get that first-round pick, even though I really want it really bad? No fair. Like, that's what Easterby and, and Howie Roseman are both doing, and they're petulant, nasty little tyrants if they want to go down that road. I don't think either of them should, especially Easterby. But in the case of, of Ro- Roseman, I'm willing to give more of like acknowledge more of a possibility that he's just operating in bad faith and kind of just playing a, a some kind of hardball of negotiating where he, he he he's trying to drive up one last bit of value on Wentz and the demands that he can make by trying to give this ridiculous bluff that like we'll just go into the year with Carson on the bench uh, visibly pissed off every day and leaking to the press every day about how much he hates the whole team and wants to be traded like Roseman's not really willing to go down that road in my opinion or at least you know I'd, I'd, it would be pretty unprecedented if he did um, but I think he's kind of just saying that to try to you know just one last bluff just to see what happens and I do think that he's going to end up trading Wentz to the Colts for like a second rounder and eating something like 60% of the cap penalty. So the more of the cap penalty that they eat, the less that the Eagles get back in a trade in terms of like draft picks and players. So right. uh, that's, that's, that's the tension that I think Howie's trying to kind of like gain a leverage against. And I, I just don't see any leverage for him to actually use, especially if the Colts are smart enough to realize they're not bidding against anybody. Like either, either the, either the bears are willing to eat and able to eat some of that cap money or the Eagles have to take whatever the Colts can offer if the Colts are offering to eat some of that money. Like, there's no one else who will do it. There's no one else who has enough money. Like, the Jaguars have, an, uh, have enough money, but it's like they obviously don't want Wentz. So, like, in terms of actually getting it returned for Wentz, I don't see how anyone other than Indianapolis could possibly be in the bidding. Uh, with that said, um, I wouldn't be like – I wouldn't be happy about that if I was a Colts fan. I, I would be kind of – I mean, if I was a Colts fan, I'd be a little bit discouraged in general – about where things are going, because you just saw a season where Frank Reich puts players on the field on the basis of how much he likes them personally. Like, he's not willing anymore or unable, whatever the case, to determine who his actually best players are. So he'll bench Jonathan Taylor, because like, oh, well, Naheem's a really good guy, and he'll put Trey Burton on the field and, and Jack Doyle on the field instead of Mo Cox, because like, oh, they're good guys, you know? I like them. Um, so, like, that's your coach. And then on the GM level, you've got Chris Ballard, who... I thought was saying some pretty disqualifying statements, actually. Like he was mm-hmm. saying some stuff like, well, I know you guys want us to draft a quarterback high, but li- let me tell you this. As soon as I draft a quarterback high, you're going to start a clock about when you're going to fire me if he's not good. It's like, OK, so you're going to purposely lower expectations for the team so that you don't <laughs> get held to any sort of standard in the future. That's, like, that sounds like a character me? on Parks and Rec or something. 
Yeah, I mean, he was just saying that stuff totally straight-faced, and the media basically peddled it with a straight face. They were just like, ooh, listen to this wise Machiavellian uh, take fr- from Chris Ballard. Like, <laughs> no, he's he's talking – he's just expressing cynicism and scoundrel uh, ethos to you. Like, you, you should see that for what it is. He's saying – he will sabotage the team sooner than he would risk getting fired for pursuing success. So that's what he said. His words, not mine. I don't really, I don't know what anyone's supposed to do with it. I would fire him if I was in a position to do it. Um, But he's specifically saying, I'm going to not draft a quarterback if it means that I'll be expected to make them good. So I will pursue instead a middle ground or what I'm, you know, portraying as a middle ground by getting a quarterback who people won't blame me for the fact that he sucks if we get him. So that sounds like Wentz, doesn't it? That sounds that sounds like another Philip Rivers signing. It sounds like uh it, you know just doing something where we're we're just competitive enough that people don't call for my head because we're 4 He's and 12 the flex or whatever. Tape GM. He is the it's, flex tape GM. The flex Slap tape a GM. Flex tape on it. And <laughs> yes. uh, it was fine. But yeah, specific, specifically, he's like doing it knowing that it's bad for the team. He's, he explicitly told the media, I am just putting my personal career interests ahead of every consideration. And they were like, wow, you got to give him credit. That's smart stuff. It's like, no, you should probably like want to kick his ass for saying that. That's insane. <laughs> you shouldn't let your team officials talk like that. That's crazy. So I, I, I would be pretty discouraged if I was a Colts fan uh, because, yeah, uh, Chris Ballard basically came out and said point blank like, I'm going to blow money and draft picks on a veteran that we have reason to believe will not be good instead of drafting a quarterback who might be good because I can't be blamed for the fact that the first guy is bad when everyone thought he was bad in the first place. Crazy. So um, in any case, I do think that Philadelphia's cap situation is perilous enough that they really do need someone to eat that money. And I just don't see who can do it other than the Colts. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you look at the other teams that are, um, in a good spot cap wise, it would be the Jags who obviously aren't going to do that. The Jets, same deal. Like they're going to press forward with the with the quarterback of the of the future, who isn't Carson Wentz. Um, Patriots are are uh, number four. Indianapolis number three, by the way. Uh, Cincinnati, Denver. Uh, so Denver, I guess theoretically could be in the mix, um, but I, I mean they're kind of stuck with or not stuck with drew lock um they they can definitely do better um that i could see them entering the bidding but yeah the, the list about ends there so really you got two elway teams probably, they, have, they have like half the ammo that indianapolis does yeah i think elway is the kind of guy who would who would like wentz so that that checks match the hype make, box yeah and he's you know he's they're gonna they will get along as people if they have to hang out i, I feel like that one's safe to say but uh, yeah, I don't I don't know what I don't know what uh, I don't know what the the Broncos are putting all in the calculation. I, I don't I don't know what they're looking at exactly. But if I was them, I would I would try to get a quarterback upgrade for sure. I just don't know whether I I, I don't consider Wentz worth it. Um, I, I think Locke is bad to be clear, and I think Wentz is better. It's just one of those things like it it's still not good enough. I'd, I'd rather just test my luck some other way. Uh, I really feel like I feel like Ballard's um, and, and Indianapolis's, you know, Reich's connection to Wentz and, and Indianapolis cap general personnel situation. I feel like it's just got to be them. Yeah, I, I I would be shocked if it's anyone else. Again, if it is someone else, it's probably De- Denver. Like you said, yeah. I think you laid out a really good case as far as uh, Chicago probably not being a. Unless something there's a profoundly stupid trade that, that yes that is the one thing and we are giving totally we are happen. giving a lot of credit here to these guys I guess I guess I got to say I find it more likely that Chicago offers something just inconceivably ridiculous for Wentz <laughs> thus uh, trumping Indianapolis's cap related offer like those those the people running the Bears are you know doesn't really need talking about but they're stupid people. And they're they're bad, and they're going to identify with a person like Wentz uh, for reasons that don't really have much to do with this play. And they could get a bit fervent in their love for him. There's no question in my mind, actually, that like the Bears are offering more in terms of picks and players. Uh, they just can't offer the cap part. But if they just say like to hell with it, two first round picks, then yeah, Philadelphia will find some other way to make the money move. Man, yeah, pretty much, man. So. Um... 
that's uh, that sums it up as far as the the, the latest uh, on Carson Wentz. Uh, anything else to add there before we jump over to some best ball? I hope they do it soon. I am so sick of having to wonder about Carson Wentz anything. Yeah, so exactly. Sick. Wentz watch is very, very, it's extremely boring. This is I'd, way too lame of a player for me to have to spend so much time about it, you know? Yeah, at least Brett Favre was cool and like it was the summer and I don't know, it was before Twitter and all that stuff back in the mid Goodbye, Carson. We're sick of you. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, moving on. Uh, so again, I am participating in a best ball 10 right now. It's still ongoing. We're into the 14th round, almost done with, with the 14th round. I am picking from the eighth spot. Um, in this particular format, if you're not familiar with best ball, you know, it's it's drafting with basically no in-season management. Um, and on, on this one, it's PPR, I believe, full point PPR. This is um, fan ball that you're doing, best ball tens? Uh, yes, yep. Okay. Um, yeah, so it is PPR on that site, and it's uh, one quarterback, two running back, three receiver, tight end, flex. Uh, they don't have, correct, they don't have um, kickers. They do have defenses, though. Is that yes. right? Yes on defense and and no on kickers. You're right. Okay, so yeah, that um, that's that's like the classic format. And uh, as you were saying, it's it's like no moves in the season, and it's a longer draft by a few rounds than your typical redraft league because you need to get the bigger benches so that you have enough players for the for the automated software to put them in the lineup for you even after bye weeks and injuries and so on. Um, but yeah, you had, you had the eighth pick, John, and uh, I, I think it's a good one. I, I I do as well, and and it's funny. So I'm sitting there, and and for the listeners, I'll, I'll get the the board tweeted out uh, once I tweet the pod out itself. Um, top five went in a pretty expected fashion. We had McCaffrey one one, Kamara, Dalvin Cook, uh, Derrick Henry went four. Number five was Travis Kelsey. Team five had a very interesting, very uh, pointed strategy. It appears where they they. You've heard of zero RB, but not like this. Um, so he he didn't take a running back until the ninth round with James Conner. So Travis Kelsey paired him with tra- with uh, Patrick Mahomes in the second. Then went Keenan Allen, Deontay Johnson, Brandon Ayuk, Tyler Boyd, Hollywood Brown, and Brandon Cooks to start out his draft. So an interesting path, nonetheless. I I, I wouldn't say that I uh, exactly endorse that strategy, but it, it's interesting. I mean, it made the, made the cut for the podcast. Um, but for me. I'm sitting there at eight, and I see that um, it's either Jonathan Taylor or Saqu- Saquon Barkley um, when the when the team in front of me was about to to select, and I'm just crossing my fingers because there. I think to me there there's a pretty significant drop off between like I don't want much in the way of Saquon Barkley this year, especially in the top ten, and I and among other running backs, Zeke would have been the next guy up. I, I probably would have just bumped Chubb up. Chubb ended up going uh, 12th in this one, but I ended up landing on Jonathan Taylor. Saquon was taken at pick number seven. Uh, Zeke went 11 and Chubb went 12. So I probably would have had to reach a little bit, maybe relative to ADP or, or what the room would think on Chubb. But I mean, I'm in a vacuum. I'm taking Chubb over Barkley and Elliott this year, but Jonathan Taylor, a slightly different discussion. Taylor doesn't quite have a Kareem Hunt level backup behind him so i think that taylor made the most sense to go with um at number eight yeah i love taylor of course i think he's he's gonna be worth i or i think he's justifiable as high as the second overall pick and even if you're a person who does a lot of best ball and you get uh whatever if you if you get a number of first overall picks and you get mccaffrey every time it's like i I would even think about it not just uh not just about Taylor, but diversifying with like Dalvin Cook or something from that spot, something along those lines, because Taylor does have top overall upside. And granted, he doesn't have the projected usage, the projected uh, pass catching usage, usage, especially that McCaffrey, Dalvin do uh, or Kamara, of course. But I'm personally a little bit lower on Kamara at the moment, just because we don't know what the, the Saints offense is going to look like. And I, I basically believe Austin Eckler is the same guy and much cheaper and in a probably better offense. And you got him in the second round with Taylor. So that's going in the first two rounds and getting Taylor and Eckler is one of those things that's pretty close to perfect in my mind. Like I can't really 
realistically ask for a, a better start than that by my own personal rankings. Um, I'm not I'm not committed to to like a heavy running back strategy or against a, a zero running back strategy. I, I I personally consider a variety of approaches from draft to draft based on where I'm drafting from and what players are available and how the markets develop. And I usually let that push me in a particular direction. Um, but Taylor being at eight and Eckler being at your second round pick is something that I don't need to think about. That's just, I'm, I'm slamming uh, the, the button in both cases and I'm, I'm pretty much laughing at everybody else's running back room. Yeah. I'm so that, that kind of like, I just feel like running back is so important to get in the first couple of rounds. Like, of course, Devonta Adams is awesome. Of course, Stephon Diggs had an incredible year last year, and he's still in his prime. So you figure that that he can replicate very something uh, close to that uh, this coming year. Tyreek Hill obviously is awesome. DeAndre Hopkins, DK Metcalf, the list goes on. A little surprising to see Justin Jefferson already being a, a, a second round guy, but I totally understand it at that same at that same point. But to me, I just find that receiver is a lot deeper, um, and it's a lot tougher to find true bankable workloads from your running backs at once you get outside the first couple of rounds. So I, I tend to lean running back early, almost no matter what I'm, I'm again, I'm not, I'm not totally to rigid. It, it's just, I think it, you have to, you have to worry a lot less about certain things, right? Receiver it's, it's the replacement level is a lot higher and a lot easier to find. So starting out Taylor Eckler, I thought was, you know, kind of like what you're saying, a really ideal start. I, I was a little bit, um, torn between Eckler and James Robinson. And I think what, what kind of steered me away uh, from Robinson um, was that he had just such a ridiculously high share of the usage in that backfield for a team that, you know, was basically actively tanking. I think that the new coaching staff having Trevor Lawrence there, I think it's going to be a healthier offense overall. I don't think that they like they definitely were able to squeeze out so much value out of out of James Robinson last year, especially being an undrafted free agent guy. I mean, it what I mean, it couldn't get much better than that. But it, and I don't want to say that that's going to be the best year he ever has. But uh, the path was really, really cleared out for him. Uh, there, there just really wasn't anyone taking away snaps and touches from him. Um, so I, I, I didn't feel like that we're we're reaching another level with Robinson this year. Whereas Eckler. Um, he's just such a dynamic player. I know that he had the injury stuff that this year, but I love the chargers offense. Yeah. Um, People are and, not thinking that one through like, yeah, he can have a Marshall Falk, like a vintage Marshall Falk season in that offense. If Herbert keeps producing the way he has, like just think it through. We already saw what the guy can do in a rivers offense. Herbert raised the bar. Eckler only didn't cash in already on that raise bar because he was injured. Like you said, in the games that he did play, he put up big PPR numbers. He's the real deal in every sense. Uh, if he's, he, I think is, is basically as good of a player as Kamara, like I said, and, and the difference between them and the ADP is totally unjustifiable to me. Yep. So, um, big I do like Eckler. Robinson though. I, if sure. I can quickly say, I, 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 that was a tough call for me just because I like those guys so much, both Robinson and Eckler, but Eckler is probably the better player and so much of his work, uh, comes in the passing game. So high scoring offense, PPR scoring, I, I feel like that tilts it toward Eckler, you know, at least on like a six out of 10 kind of basis. But if you had to have gone with Robinson there, I think it would have been good because uh, granted I'm taking some leaps of faith here. And the things that you described are all really good reasons to be uh, cautious at the very least. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of a reckless person. So that's probably why I'm, I'm not deterred by that. But like <laughs> Robinson had, you're right that he like took a huge share. I just think that it's because of merit uh, like even even if Divino Zigbo and Chris Thompson and Leonard Fournette are kind of crap running backs, it still is very rare for an undrafted guy out of Illinois State to even so much as get the chance to kick them out of the way. You know, it's like there's plenty of cases of better players rotting away on the bench. And Robinson, in terms of like running the simulation, it's it's nine times out of ten. Uh, the Jaguars just kind of cut him as a default thing and say like, oh, he's a practice squad guy. He's undrafted. Practice squad. Come on. We're going with a Zigbo. Like that's that's the way it usually works uh, in like the good old boys club of the NFL. But he just 
kicked them all out like right away too. Like it seemed like Jay Gruden kind of decided that almost on day one. And they just like very quietly rolled out the, uh, we're getting rid of Fournette, We're putting mm-hmm. Armstead on the COVID list. We're going with Robinson Thompson. We're not really playing him either anymore. Screw it. It's just Robinson now. And like, that's if, if they were trying to tank by doing that, they picked the wrong guy to play. You know, he was way too good to be tanking with. And uh, I actually think that Robinson has quite a bit of upside. Not so much, not so much like, you know, like he can't increase his share of the offense, but Lawrence will make that offense score a lot more touchdowns. And yes. I bet Robinson can get a hand in a lot of those touchdowns that weren't in play in 2019 or sorry, 2020. So yeah, probably less of a share, but the pie is going to get bigger and more of those touches are going to be in scoring range. So I think his floor is a little higher than people give him credit for. Yeah, the, the, there's definitely something to be said for just having a, a healthier offense to be playing in. So uh, that that should, the saying that the pie is going to be bigger is is a very very good point. So I mean, I'll definitely want to get some Robinson shares, especially in in the middle of the second round. Um, but in this particular instance. Uh, Eckler Eckler got the got the lean from me ever so slightly. Um, after that, uh, went heavy at receiver. I was I was having some delusions of grandeur that one of AJ Brown or Darren Waller would fall to me in the third. Didn't happen that way. That's okay. Um, ended up going with Terry McLaurin. I, I love McLaurin in the third. I, I have to imagine that Washington's passing offense can't be any worse than it was a year ago. And McLaurin was still a fine enough player. I mean, it, he definitely didn't quite return the the value that I would have wanted um, out of him. And, you know, he wasn't like a, a great wide receiver one last year for, for your fantasy teams. But I just, I mean, we're entering what year three for him. He's so talented. He he's still been able to produce despite the, the bad conditions around him. I have to believe that Washington has something a little bit better in place as far as the, their offense is concerned this year. So for me, um, I liked McLaurin's chances more, a little bit better than Allen Robinson. What was definitely in consideration for me as well. Um, and, and getting out of Chicago should help some things a little bit. Mike Evans w- was in there as well, but McLaurin for me was the guy. Um, after that, I love T. Higgins. I thought that was just an easy one for me. Um, I, I know it, it sounds crazy in a vacuum to be saying that that I took him instead of Julio Jones and Chris Godwin, but I just think that the the ceiling is. The sky's the limit as far as Higgins is concerned, and he's only going to get better. He His breakout happened, I, I guess, like pretty much after Joe Burrow's knee exploded. So uh, he was making it work with, with you know, a ragtag bunch at quarterback last year. If Burrow is back in, in 100% and, you know, there, there's no A.J. Green there even, um, I love Higgins for, for this upcoming season. So like him in the fourth. Uh, and then I went Will Fuller. So I just hammered receiver with, with my next three picks um, after I started RB heavy. Yeah, I think uh, very highly of both McLaurin and Higgins as talents. So I'm, I'm definitely sold on that front. I guess it's it's one of those things like you were talking about how you were hoping Brown or uh, uh, Waller. I'm sure someone like Ridley or Keenan Allen would have been pretty interesting too. Like I prefer those guys over McLaurin by a pretty safe distance. So it's, it's kind of painful for me to go from them to McLaurin, even though I like McLaurin, I almost would have been tempted in your position to just go three running backs and take Antonio Gibson there. Uh, but uh, I, I like in this case, especially if you're in a tournament kind of scoring best ball, which is to say like if it, if it only pays the top spot or the, the top three spots, thus kind of justifying a more aggressive strategy. I would have been curious about pursuing a Ram stack with Woods and Cooper Cup in rounds three and four, which that's not something I go into a draft dreaming of. It's not like I I don't really want either of those guys as my number one receiver. But if they're the co number one and if 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 I'm right about Stafford being this huge upgrade for the Rams, then I, I really think Woods and Cup are both set up pretty nicely. And just as a structural like strategy consideration, it's sometimes good to get stacks and best ball teams just because you you reduce week to week volatility and in the event that you kind of hit a value with the offense in question, it's it's a kind of a way of just like uh like causing an avalanche of value basically. Like it's it's like yeah. you're doubling down on the premise and so you just keep reaping more re- rewards. Um, but yeah, it's it's a uh, it's tough to get wide receiver at that particular spot. I would have seriously considered Julio as well. I know all the risks that come with it. 
I'm the guy who seems to take him every year, and every year I'm like, this is the last time I'm taking Julio Jones. I'm so sick of his <laughs> sprained ankles or whatever. Uh, but man, he, him in the mid fourth, it's like I gotta, I gotta buy that in bulk. I'm, I'm too stupid to, to resist that. Um, so that that's probably what I would have done. I probably would have took Julio. But in hindsight, even as much as I love Eckler and James Robinson, I, I think since that wide receiver pinch occurred at the early third. In the next draft, I might be on the lookout for maybe going wide receiver in the second, uh, just kind of painfully passing on probably not Eckler. I probably can't pass on Eckler, but if it's Robinson, I might be able to pass on him. And then I'm hoping in the third round to get either Robinson or if it's got to be Dobbins or especially DeAndre Swift or Edwards Hilaire, that would work for me too. Um, but yeah, I think if McLaurin can return to his um, 2019 kind of look, I definitely have faith in Higgins being something good. So uh little better injury luck would go a long way for McLaurin too. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, I think you, you definitely laid out some good cases there um, as far as other guys to target in those ranges. And of course the, you know, the, the larger uh, best ball theory uh, in terms of uh, stacking teams. So if you, you know, if you're in on, on team X, you know, trying to, to build around that a little bit, like the Ram stack, like you mentioned that that'll be an interesting one. Um, I think that, yeah, we've talked about it, but that offense should be a lot healthier um, this year with, with Stafford there, that the downfield part of the field now officially open in Los Angeles. Um, one last thing I, I kind of wanted to, to touch on. I mean, th- those are my, my main core guys. I'll, I'll tweet out the the board. I mean, some other notables, that I have, I went after a couple of second-year receivers a little bit later on. Lavisca Chenault uh, being being Trevor Lawrence's uh, presumptive number one, maybe number two type of guy. Uh, I went with Michael Pittman. Uh, my tight end is Mike Gesicki. Got him in the ninth, and then my my, uh, my quarterback uh, surprise surprise is Trevor Lawrence. I got him in the eleventh. There was a bit of a quarterback run. Um, I'm very Man, that's, happy. That's a steal. I got to say, that's that's my favorite pick of yours aside from Taylor at eight and Eckler at a 12 or whatever that is, because mm-hmm. Lawrence should go higher than that. I know I know everybody's looking at the Brian Schottenheimer, the the Daryl Bavell thing, but Lawrence might be pretty shockingly fast for people. Like, I, like I, I'm not saying like he runs like Michael Vick or something, but I've seen people just saying like, uh, you know, he might run like a four six or something. He might run like a four four eight or something. His top he speed can at is least real- run as fast as Justin Herbert. Oh God, yeah, he's much faster than Herbert. Um, yeah, he's 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 really fast top speed. It's probably like he he's probably not like that fast in the first ten yards, but I bet he's one of those guys. Like if you put him through that Daniel Jones run, he's reaching some stupid high miles per hour and probably not falling over himself either. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. So I think Lawrence stacked with LaVisca Chenault or DJ Chark is something that I am or or both all three of them. That's something I am going to very much be on the lookout because I don't I don't think people have a frame of reference necessary to have a good perspective on Lawrence. I think like you see people trying to say what he is as, as a comp and you get these totally incoherent ideas that like. I don't even know what people are saying, but you can't come up with a good comp because there isn't one. The, if you want to have an insightful Trevor Lawrence comp, you have to go outside of the quarterback position. He's he's most comparable in terms of like the effect that he can have on a team. It's more like Calvin Johnson, LeBron James, something like that. Like he's totally unprecedented as a quarterback prospect, and pertinently for fantasy a big reason why he is so unique is because he is really fast and he didn't really need to run much in college. There's some risk. He doesn't need to run much in the NFL too. Like Pat Mahomes. It's like he, he could run for a hell of a lot of production. He just rarely needs to. And there is that risk with Lawrence, but if he does struggle as a passer at all, he can really hurt teams as a runner. And and I I don't even mean like, you know, 30 yards a game. I mean like he can rip off like a 60 yard touchdown kind of thing. Yeah. Outran the entire Ohio state defense in the playoff two years ago. Like just look at that. Like he, the speed is legit. Like you said, and these quarterback picks are wacky, man, by the way, like Herbert going later than Rogers, Lamar Jackson in the late sixth, uh, like Pat Mahomes going in the second round is borderline, not justifiable with, with quarterbacks like those going as late as they are. And uh, even as even as much as like Lamar in the sixth, Herbert in the seventh, like those those are Prescott in the late seventh. Like I guess I don't know what the deal is with his ankle, but if he's fine, that's too late for him. Um, but like I, I actually look at Stafford in the early ninth, and then your pick of Lawrence in the mid to late eleventh as my two favorite quarterback options. I there is not a chance in hell I am taking 
someone like uh, Joe Burrow or Matt Ryan, no, or no. especially Baker Mayfield ahead of Trevor Lawrence, no chance. Yes, I was very, that was the pick right before me. So I, I skated by on a razor's edge because that guy was clearly going after quarterback. He just went after the wrong one. And then he, yes, he, he came back the next pick and went with Roethlisberger. So Brutal. that team Brutal. might be <laughs> That might be sunk um, as it is. Uh, sorry in advance to uh, Team 7. Um, but uh, ra- rounding it out, um, we had this discussion. Uh, we, we have a you know football chat that we participate in, and, and uh, one of our buddies in there was talking about uh, you know swinging for the fences as far as rookie running backs are concerned, and especially now. And I think that's a really important detail to, to make because – ADPs do tend to shoot up for these rookie running backs once the landing spot is determined. So a lot of it now has to do with how you view them as far as like potential draft capital. Is this guy going to go in a spot where he's going to theoretically uh, get on the field, have a role, um, that sort of thing. But, you know, it, every running back class is different. There, there isn't an Antonio Gibson in every single draft class. You know what I mean? There isn't a James Robinson in every single draft class. So this is a weird running back group. We we talked about it on the pod last week. Um, So I I just kind of want to turn it over to you as far as how you in the pre-draft stage are going to be approaching this rookie running back class. Well, I definitely like the rookie running back you took, uh, including at the pick that you got him at Kylan Hill in the 14th round strikes me as pretty clearly the best (laughs) rookie pick that anyone in this draft made because it's, it's the the way that you get value picking early on rookies is basically like knowing things about how good they are and where they might get drafted uh, that the price that the market pricing hasn't picked up on. And that's that's like playing with fire as much as there's a lot of upside there. And as much as I certainly feel like people like us can tell who's good and we can see when the crowd's wrong It's like last year, this time of the year. People would take, you know, Benjamin and Keyshawn Vaughn, uh, you know, and like. I don't know, like the 10th round, eighth mm-hmm. round or something, even before Keyshawn Vaughn was a third round pick. Um, and then AJ Dillon would go undrafted. And that's, that's one of those things like we, we were kind of like, Hey, AJ Dillon probably shouldn't be going undrafted, especially if these idiots, these, you know, these running backs are going, you know, in the 10th or the ninth or whatever the hell. Yeah. And so like people, people get, people will drive up prices on these players because they know that, especially after like versus like three years ago, I don't think any of these sort of picks would be happening. Like you wouldn't have Najee Harris going in the fourth round three years ago, but because you have things like Jonathan Taylor going in the sixth in February, people are, there's almost like a presumption I think of like overpayment for rookies right now, rookie running backs it's because people have been told there's 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 literature on it on it there's there's writing there's podcasts saying you got to get these rookies early if you want to find the value so if everybody believes that then eventually the rookies will not be a value because everyone will be paying more under the presumption that they are a value and, and so that's it's, how it's, you that's how you end up with Javante Williams in the sixth while the yeah. team a couple spots after you gets AJ Dillon in the seventh. Yeah, I mean, that could work out fine. But the thing that that person has to understand is that is very risky. We do not know where Javante Williams is going to go in the draft. He's getting a lot of hype on the Internet and not much substantiated behind it, in my opinion, because I I was expecting somebody to drop something like, look at this, Javante Williams. He's going to run like a four, four, five at two hundred and eighteen pounds. He's got a 40 inch vertical. And if I started reading things like that about Javante Williams, then even I would say, okay, yeah, maybe we should start taking him in the sixth round. But the thing is. You watch his tape, and it, it, it sooner looks to me like a David Montgomery kind of thing where people are just working themselves up and getting into a, a, a hive mind chatter, and they, they just kind of start repeating themselves. And they, they hear something said two times, and the, the second time they hear it, it sounds more true to them and so on and so on, and they just get more and more worked up. And you end up with this stuff that's just like, Javante Williams the best running back in the draft. Not that that's, a, that's not a majority position, but it's a position you're seeing now, and it's not – remotely possible in my opinion like Travis Etienne is the best running back in this draft and it's not close and if there's somebody who's close to him it's probably Najee Harris before Javante Williams that's just how I feel I watched the North Carolina tape I don't really see him running away from anybody he breaks tackles he's, he's tough he breaks tackles he catches the ball well all good stuff but to go in the sixth round of a fantasy draft right now that guy needs to go uh, not just in like the second or third round, but he needs to go to a place where he can realistically push for starter snaps. Yeah. And 
the realistic part is pretty key there because I don't think it's realistic to say that. I mean, like he's, he's going earlier, like you just said, than AJ Dillon who already went in the second round a year ago and is going to be on the, I know, you know, Aaron Jones could be there still, but Aaron Jones is an injury prone, small guy. And AJ Dillon was a second round pick last year who is good. Like Javante Williams probably is not as good of an, he's probably not particularly close to Dillon as an athlete. And for all we know, Javante Williams will just end up being the AJ Dillon behind the Aaron Jones on some team. Like we don't, Mm -hmm. we don't have any particular reason to think he'll be a starter. So I know that it's generally true to say earlier in the year is where you get a value at, you know, the rookie running back spot. But if, the if the playing it out in practice for that theory is that I have to take Javante Williams in the sixth, then I believe this year it's less likely to be true than most other years. So uh, with that said, ETN in the early fifth, I don't know, man. I mean, I'll have to think about it. I certainly want to buy in the talents. I certainly prefer him over some of the running backs that went ahead of him. Like I would rather have Travis ETN than Chris Carson or Najee Harris or uh, I don't know, somebody probably. Uh, but I even – don't know if I want to pay the early fifth. You know, it's like I, if it was maybe late fifth or if, if Travis Etienne was going where Javante Williams is, I would definitely be in. And don't get me wrong, I might pay that Etienne price. I have to I have to kind of like put myself under the gun a few times before I really know for sure what I think. But I'm not seeing the obvious bargain. Like I, I feel like most years, I especially in the later parts, and, oh, and that's what's crucial too. It's like sometimes where you get these hits is these later picks, like you were saying, Antonio Gibson – uh, James Robinson after you know we we had him on the map at all but there is no depth in this running back class you have to like after Ramondre Stevenson there's nobody who can really do anything in my opinion like you got, yeah, you got it's gonna it's gonna be really tough sledding you got you got those small guys and Kylan Hill I guess yeah. I will say though Kylan Hill in the 14th I like that quite a bit that's the kind of pick I would make I think he, he looks go. a lot like Miles Sanders and, and that that's a bargain but some of these guys it's like Jamar Jefferson in the 12th. I like Jamar Jefferson. I think he's about as good as Javante Williams. I don't know if I want to pay in the 12th if, if I'm, you know, I'm passing on a decent uh, tight end two or wide receiver four, whatever it is. It's just it, I don't see where the obvious bargain is, especially when it's like Rashad Penny is going in the mid 13th after Jamar goes in the 12th. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, that understanding the depth in this class or, or their lack thereof is is going to be really important. And, and this is pretty instructive stuff as far as uh, these early best balls. Um, you know, we'll, we'll be kind of unpacking these as the, as the offseason goes on. So, um, yeah, that this is an interesting first little dabble into it. And, uh, again, with these rookie running backs specifically, we'll, we'll get into more of the rookies and, of course, the, the running backs and Kyle Pitts – I'm sorry, the receivers and Kyle Pitts and all that – um, as the rest of, of off season and draft season, uh, gets underway. Um, but that's going to do it for us here, uh, for this week's edition of the Rotowire podcast from Mario Puig. I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening.